0: You never met my dad, did you? Probably not. He was the kind of a man you wouldn't want to rile up because he was very formidable when he got riled up. Now, he had a rule. When it got dark, you were in the house instead of roaming the neighborhood playing kick the can. That was my favorite. Well, anyhow, I didn't like the rule, but, you know, dads being what they are, I lived with it until junior high now, I'm going to spare you most of the details of this but uh, I was hanging out late one day down at the dairy bar and was some of the guys were there and one of the fellows said hey Wayne my next door neighbor Wayne and another guy they're camped out of the gravel pit tonight somebody else said hey let's go out and scare them Well, it just happened there were two high school guys there that had a car. Bad mix. Really bad mix. They said, we'll hop in, guys. We'll take you for a ride. Oh, yeah, right. So we piled in, and I'm going to spare you the details from here. Other than it was about 20 minutes to midnight... And I'm trudging with the last of the other Mohicans around the curve following the main drag into town when a car started by and then slammed on its brakes. And a fellow looked us over and then he pointed to me. He said, are you glass? I said, yes, sir. Well, you better get in and let me take you home. Your dad is pretty put out with you. Oh, boy. Formidable father. Here we go. Well, I'm going to spare you what happened next. And looking back at it, I, uh, I don't fault my dad for responding and reacting the way he did. He was just being a good father. Do you have one of them? He was being a very good father. But what about that fellow who stopped and picked me up? What was he doing? Well, I can hear somebody thinking, sticking his nose in, no, 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 no. He was being a good neighbor. He was going to bat for me to try to keep my formidable father from dispatching son number one. Well, there's a term for that. The term is intercession. Going to bat. And you know, looking back at that, I... By the way, I never did that again. I was on two weeks. I was homebound. I wasn't able to go anywhere. And some other penalties. But, you know, I never did that again. (laughs) Well, looking back at that, that's kind of the picture I had growing up. But what goes on in heaven? You know, when you sin, you come under conviction of the Holy Spirit, you confess your sin, you ask forgiveness, and then... Jesus, a really good neighbor. Jesus turns to the father, and he holds his hands out. He said, Father, see the scars in my hands. I died for this person. Would you, for me, please forgive them? And I pictured the father sitting there kind of quietly, thoughtfully, and then looking at the son, maybe with a twinkle in the corner of his eye, saying, Son, for you, I'll do it. I forgive them. And I could picture Jesus throwing his arms around the father's neck, saying, oh, Dad, thank you. I love you. And somehow I always pictured Jesus calling the father Dad. I don't know why, but I just kind of like that. Well, he is a good neighbor, a really good one. Our first text this morning is in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. You can use your phone app or you can get your bible out or find one in the pew. Once more Hebrews 7:25. This is one of the three is able text in the book of Hebrews, and I like it. It says, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So you look at that, does intercession happen in heaven? Absolutely. And you know, it's Jesus' first nature, his first nature to go to bat for us, to represent us and do everything he can for us. Now, how does the Father fit into all of this? Well, next reference is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Verse 26 and the first half of 27. Now, back in the 1930s, in the University of Chicago, Edgar Goodspeed was teaching, and one of the things that he produced was a translation of the New Testament, and it ended up in a translate or a version of the Bible called the Short Bible. I wanted a copy, and I went looking for one. I found one on Amazon for $3,000. Ooh. Then I found one at Neighbor to Neighbor for $3. So I bought that one. By the way, you can get some good bargains over there. Anyhow, I think Goodspeed nailed it when he did something with this text. Now, the word ask is in here twice. But the second time... He does it differently. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will, Goodspeed put the word intercede in here. I don't say that I will intercede with the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself, what does it say? He loves you. Isn't that incredible? The Father loves each one of us. And Jesus is saying, I don't have to intercede with you. He loves you. In other words, this idea of him holding his hand, out, Father, seen, he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't have to do that because he's talking with somebody about us and we are the apple of the Father's eye. Now, this intercession, though, how does the Father fit into that? Well, let's go to an Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, chapter 3. Now, when you read the first five verses of this, it's a judgment setting in heaven, and there are four individuals identified. They are Joshua the high priest, the angel of the Lord, which would be Jesus, the, uh, the devil, or Satan, standing there to accuse, and the Lord, which is our heavenly Father, therefore. Now Joshua is standing there dressed in filthy garments, which is a Bible metaphor for sin. And Satan is standing there. Now it doesn't record anything the devil is saying, but I think you can get the idea For instance, from the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2, Satan is accusing not so much Job. He's accusing Job of not sinning, but he is talking to the Father, who who he is really after. And he says, listen, look at him. You think he's foolish? He knows what side his bread is buttered on, Look at all you gave him. He'd be foolish not to worship you. But you know what? And the implication is, if the father did not buy off people, would they worship him? The answer is no. They they want to worship me. Well, going to this situation here in Zechariah 3, look at him. Lord, he's one of yours, and he's the high priest. Look at him, look at all his sins. Now, how did the devil happen to know about all his sins? He was behind every one of them. That's true for you and me as well. He knows all all about sin. He said, "And, and you claim him and you won't accept me? You see, when Satan accuses, it's not just people. Who he's really after is the father. Really, he hates him with a passion. Well, anyhow, so you have, at this point, the father's had about enough. And he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. This is a, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. This is a brand plucked from the burning." And enough from the devil, not another peep. Silent. So this is intercession. And who is doing the interceding? The Father himself. That's incredible, folks. So intercession, the way it really happens in heaven, is the Father begins by dealing with the devil. He silences him and gets him off our case. My, I like that. The next thing that happens, if you read this, is the angel of the Lord Jesus steps forward. Now, what was the devil fussing about? All the sin that was covering Joshua. And he said, take the iniquities from him. And it one fell swoop, They're gone. I don't know if anybody here remembers a gentleman by the name of Dr. Ed Banks. He used to teach over the seminary. He was a guest presenter at the youth department at camp meeting one year. And I remember something he said in starting his message. He said, When I was in academy, I woke up one day and I said, You know what? You're going to be perfect. You're going to be sinless. So he said, I made a list of sins and started in a number one. Wasn't too hard. Got it pretty well taken care of. And I went to number two, which was worse. It was harder. But eventually, I got that one in good shape. And then I went to number three. And oh boy, I about couldn't do it. I was finally, after so much hard work, beginning to make progress when I look back over my shoulder, and guess who's back? Number one. And he said, I learned you can't make it on the list. Now, the idea of getting rid of sin, is a great idea. And there are people who, who are convinced we've got to become sinless, perfect, or Jesus can't come again. But how do you propose to get rid of your sins? We work hard, we struggle, we wrestle. You know, I was trying to reinvent the wheel. How did Joshua get rid of his sins? Jesus took them away. So intercession, first of all, the father deals with the devil on our behalf, and then Jesus takes the sins and they're gone. Then he says to Joshua, Joshua, I've taken your iniquities from you. And now I'm going to clothe you with spotless garments. Now, that's a Bible metaphor for something else very precious, which is what? His righteousness. You know, that's another thing. We struggle against sin, and then we struggle trying to become righteous. It's a waste of energy, folks. Because it all comes to us from whom? From Jesus. Now, if you look at those two working together, the father and son, they're not just neighbors. They're not just good neighbors. They are really good neighbors. Well, at this point, Zechariah jumps in. He says, oh, put a clean turban on his hip. So they do, but now Joshua, what did he do? He was the high priest. And so on his turban, there would be a solid gold plate right here over his forehead inscribed with tzedek Yahweh, holiness to the Lord. In other words, he got a pure new mind from the Lord. Now folks, We have the most incredible team in heaven you ever saw. You ever experienced the Father who goes to bed for us and deals with the devil, our enemy, silences him and gets him off our case. And then Jesus, what does he do? He takes our sins and replaces them with his spotless Righteousness, his purity. And then we even get a new mind out of that. Isn't that incredible? Now, we began in the book of Hebrews, and we're, our last text this morning is going to be from Hebrews chapter 4. And this will be the last verse in Hebrews 4, verse 16. If you have been under conviction lately by the Holy Spirit about something in your life that is not quite right, this is for you. This is for me, all right? He says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And it isn't Jesus twisting the Father's arm or neck. It is the Father and the Son together that are saving us from Satan, from sin, from ourselves, saving us for their kingdom. Amen? You don't have to work hard to get rid of sin. You don't have to work hard to make yourself righteous. Paul said, fight the fight of faith. We call it righteousness what? By faith. The struggle is to believe in Jesus. And if you're having trouble, you tell him. And he and the Father together will help you. Amen. Amen. Now, you notice in the middle up here, there's a table back there. They're going to move it up here shortly. And you notice what's on the table. Today, it is our privilege and honor to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But let me ask you, have you ever read John 13? Probably many times. In the upper room, all the disciples had gathered they didn't know the future was waiting for them, but Jesus certainly did. And they, they, man, something smelled terrible in the room, and it was their feet. And a servant was supposed to be washing their feet, but they weren't going to be that servant because you see, I'm going to be more important than you in the kingdom. So what did Jesus do? You read it, John 13 is the only place in the Bible where this occurs. He got up, took off his outer, outer garment, wrapped a towel around him, took a basin of the water, maybe some soap or something, and he went over and started washing each of their feet. He got to Peter. And Peter was like, yes, No, and he said, If I don't, you have no part with me. And then Peter said, Wash all of me. And Jesus said, No, if I wash your feet, you're clean. And then later, when he finished, he sat down and looked at them and he said, now, you've seen what I've done and I've given you an example. You should do what I have done. And happy, happy you will be when you do. in following my example, the same thing. So we're going to do that. Now, if you have somewhat... Of a challenge of moving around, the nursery has been set up for you for foot washing. Just grab a hold of somebody and say, I want to serve you. And then they can serve you in return. Everyone else downstairs, there are places for men, for women, for families. All right? And when we finish that, we're going to come back and then we will address the table. There are two symbols there. One is Unleavened bread, no yeast. It's just plain bread. Yeast to Jesus represented sin. And there's a cup there of unfermented juice, grape juice. And that represents his shed blood. So his broken body, his shed blood, he did it for us. Why? He loves us. So let us, at this point, I'm going to say just a quick prayer, and then we're going to separate. And follow Jesus' example, all right? Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus to all of us. Wow, what a gift. We accept him anew, which our actions are going to show. But more than that, Lord, as we follow his example of serving, taking the role of a servant, a slave, and washing someone's feet, May we think of Jesus and draw very near to him. In his name we pray. Amen.